kind of CEOs are just saying, we need some of that AI stuff. Where do you think this push pull Hello and welcome to episode 128 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO and trusted advisor. And each week I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rockstar. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 19th of August 2022. Thank you for joining us. Hope you've had a good week. You are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode, Jeff Clark is back in the marketing studio. I go backstage with Leila Madaris, CMO of Apexon, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the marketing studio with Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions research director. This week, we are back to the swimming pool. Welcome back, Jeff, to the Rockstar CMO FM studio with, no, no, I've got that wrong, haven't I? <laughs> Welcome back, Jeff, <laughs> to the Rockstar CMO studio with Jeff Clark. Yay! <laughs> where are the, where are the bell? The be- we need the bells and the the noisemakers. Yeah, it needs a special. Yeah, it needs a special thing, doesn't it? I mean, well, it needs its own show. That's what it probably needs, mate. And probably not with me narrating it because I can't seem to introduce it any week. So, how are you? How how how's sunny Massachusetts? Massachusetts is still <laughs> sunny, and uh, Good. things are going well. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, we're 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 enjoying summer at this point after uh, a kind of a core of a really lousy heat wave, which which I think you've experienced as well. So um, yes, yes. So next week we'll be talking right. about climate change. Oh, I mean, and also I know that that's a passion of yours anyway, isn't it? Because you work with clean tech and stuff. So perhaps we should uh, talk about marketing clean tech at some point, because if if this hasn't brought it home to everybody that that's pretty bloody yeah, relevant, yeah, really then, then, then what will yeah so i think that's i think we should we should give that a go um, one of these episodes but this episode i think based on the on the on the weather is that we're um, we're actually by the pool uh, so we're going yeah. to we're going to take a look at the rockstar cmo swimming pool and for regular listeners you'll know that i ask our guests to chuck something into our our um our portal to hell for all the snake oil BS and overhyped trends of this marketing industry. And boy, we love. there is so much and we in get, the pool. Oh my god, there is. There is. We need and to get we, get, going. we get some. <laughs> we get some great suggestions, and the one we're going to look at this week is from Tim Parkin from episode 117. AI and algorithms are going to save you and replace marketing fundamentals, which Tim totally wanted to throw in the pool. Um, what say you, Jeff? Is AI and algorithms going to save us and we just need to ignore the marketing fundamentals or should this stay in our little pool? Yes, I think the key, the key thing is there and replace marketing fundamentals, which, you know, after yes. you and I have done eight, eight or, well, I don't know, 10 or more 
podcast episodes about marketing fundamentals. I say no to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think the the interesting thing, you know, that he talked about that that, that relates very well to AI. Um, and I can't mm-hmm. actually remember if he if he made the connection about this, but he talks about creating a book of knowledge. So you know, marketing being yes. able to. Uh, you know, it, to be able to amass, you know, what's what's been working, how are we engaging, what, uh, yeah. you know, who, everything, everything about, you know, when we were just talking last week about planning and strategies, kind of like everything we put yeah. in place and how it worked and and yeah. uh, and the data behind that, it's like, I mean, I think that was an absolutely great idea, and and the one of the things mm-hmm. that AI, machine learning really do is they they're really great tools for helping us build and analyze that book of knowledge and i think that's one of the things when you get to the 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 second half of the you know is it going to save us and is it going to replace marketing fundamentals well Mm -hmm. you could take those as two separate things so is it going to save us i you know i think perhaps it could save us is it going to replace us or is it going to replace marketing fundamentals absolutely not um, right. So, right. so I think that that's where, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I remember doing a presentation with one of my colleagues at Forrester on, on AI and just thinking about, you know, where, where is it going to be, you know, next year, yeah. or two or three years out, four or five years out. And, and yeah. it, it really was that we were, we were seeing it. And I think some of the data that, that, uh, you know, in terms of surveying what, marketers attitudes are about AI is that is that it's it just has a role in making our lives easier and giving us data mm-hmm. that frankly we and giving us ways of analyzing it where frankly we've struggled at doing it's like yeah. theoretically when you think about personalization when you think about you know the automated conversations when you think about you know orchestrating tactics and all blah 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 I mean that's stuff that you you know you've you've got to you've got to think about in your head but if you if you don't have good information to um, to help you do that, then yeah. that's where um, I think AI really comes in help and be helpful. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think this is a fascinating topic. And as I was talking to you before the show, um, and just to, I'm I'm always recommending other people's podcasts on this show. I don't know why, but don't do that. Um, <laughs> so I, I listen to the. If anybody follows me on Twitter, they know that I listen to the marketing book podcast. I love it, and I'm often buying books based on the recommendations. And there's a book, Marketing Artificial Intelligence, by Paul Routzer. I'm pronouncing it completely wrong, and I include a link to it in the show notes. And I think that what I, what I gathered from that conversation, the same way, is what you're saying is that the the AI will actually just help us. You know, I mean, if you've got these these we, you can do the same things, and there's lot, there's the much hackneyed expression that drives everybody crazy who knows anything about this stuff is personalization at scale, right? Yeah, yeah, so we talk yeah. about that stuff, but that's the truth of it, isn't it? AI can help us do thing, do the good things, but at scale, as long as you're doing, as long as you have uh, training the machine to do the good things, right? Yeah, yeah. That right. Yeah. Well, and, I, and, I, and and so I think that the uh, as a matter of fact, there was a. Um, a a blog on uh, Forrester's site from uh, one of my former colleagues, Jesse Johnson, who you might want to provide yeah. a link to, because she cites several studies that that show um, you know what marketers are doing with AI, and and so you know there's 63% of organizations are adopting uh, or an insights center of excellence. So they're, and they're adding AI as one of the tools, you know, in addition to their BI tool and their advanced analytic tools and data scientists, et cetera, et cetera, they're making sure that AI is something, one of the things that they can, they can leverage in that center of excellence. Um, and they're using it to, you know, design, deploy, optimize tactic mixes, uh, yeah. And that twenty percent, seven percent of organizations are planning to invest significant a- effort in using AI to drive content recommendations. So, mm-hmm. so again, these are all things that it's like you know we could, you know, you could throw a bunch of people in a room and pour through a whole bunch of data and yeah, you yeah. know hire uh, you know a data science or I should probably say expand your data science team so you can actually yeah. pour through all this stuff, or you can yeah. use tools that help do it for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, particularly with an, an understanding and engagement with audiences out there, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, the, the contact data, uh, platforms, et cetera, have, 
really gone a long way to being able to understand, to give marketers information about who's engaging with them. Uh, you know, consider not mm-hmm. everyone f- fills out lead forms anymore. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. how do we know, how do we know yeah. we're actually striking, uh, striking with our, our, um, a, 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 a note that's relevant to our customers. Um, right. so you need the information right. so, to so, do that and you need it in real time. Yeah. So you're dipping into the forest of blog again this week. So that's three mind flaying facts about AI for B2B marketers by Jesse Johnson, just to give it its full shout out. Yes, <laughs> on the Forrester blog, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But that's really interesting. So I think what you just said was 63% of organizations are are thinking about this for business intelligence, right? So, so, so a big chunk of organizations are considering artificial intelligence in their marketing, right? And, so we've got to abs- get on board with it. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's like you're, if you're yeah. not on board, you're going to be, you're going to be yeah. uh, left behind. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's been, it's, it's kind of been missed. It's, it's an interesting thing to define, isn't it, um, AI? Because some, I think for, for a lot of people are talking about, a lot of vendors in particular are talking about having AI in their products. But actually, it's just, you know, rules engine really, isn't it? It's not really that, that, that AI-y. So how do you, when, when you're talking to uh, clients uh, about AI and ML, how do you make that kind of definition? And, and do you think we're in a position now where, where kind of CEOs are just saying, we need some of that AI stuff. What's your AI strategy? Yeah. What do you think this pressure is? Do you think marketers are being sort of give, you know, being handed this idea that, oh, you've got to get some AI. So therefore, they're drinking the vendor Kool-Aid and actually just implementing big rules engines. Well, I think that the um, you're, you're spot on in that, in that it's, I think the vendors are driving a lot of the, uh, the interest in it. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, the thing is in our, in our daily lives, you know, just listening to, you know, the news or, you know, tracking cultural trends mm-hmm. and stuff like that. People are talking about AI, you know, all mm-hmm. over the place. So therefore it, yeah. it, it just becomes one of those things that we know is out there. And so the, then the question becomes, yeah. well, how do I leverage it? If, if it's something uh, you know, and again, if I'm if I'm worried about it taking my job away or or mm-hmm. dispensing with the fundamentals of marketing, it's like oh, I, everything I learned is now wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it really begs the the or, or it requires us to do our, our investigation into it and to say how can we actually leverage it. And of course, every vendor, um, yeah. you know, from your digital asset management system to your you know your marketing planning tools to your content data platforms or con- contact data platforms, your content platform, yeah. they're all saying, well, we have an AI engine and uh, yeah, this is what yeah. it does. Uh, so again, educate yourself. So you're differentiating between a yeah. rules engine and something that is at a, at a dramatically different scale. Like when I, I mean, one of the, um, I mean, we're both in, uh, familiar with you know, the whole realm of digital asset management systems and, Mm-hmm. And in content management, and it's like so. They were one of the early; uh, those vendors were one of the early adopters of using AI to do things like tagging content that that nobody gets yeah. around to tagging. So, and that truly was using AI. You know, looking at photographs and understanding from a, from the from a photograph from a you know the electronic version of an image to say, does mm-hmm. this go in this particular category or this particular industry category, this particular product category, this particular persona category? I mean, that's yeah. that's AI uh, as opposed to yeah. because because it's because it's supported by machine learning. Right? Yes. I think that's the difference, isn't yep. it? If, I mean, I know that there's probably people shouting at their radio right now about oh, what's AI, what's machine learning, but I think that that image recognition thing is about machine learning, isn't it? Learning that, oh, this is a picture of a goldfish. Oh, this is another picture of a goldfish. And therefore, these two things are fishes, they're pets, they're this, they're this, you know. And, you know, we've We'll save we've this for the, the whole... fish campaign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's also, I mean, uh, as you said, you know, we've both got content management experience. And isn't that the hardest thing to get anybody to do is to tag their content properly? Absolutely. And so and therefore, without... and you're not... You know anybody who hired somebody yeah. to do that, uh, yeah. you know, r- realized it was a it was a fool's errand. Fool's um, errand, yeah. And the same thing with yeah. um, you know the contact data platforms, where you know, I mean, they're using AI to understand 
what uh, good engagement looks like. Look, finding again using machine learning to find patterns that you can't, you yeah. personally can't perceive because you realize that yeah. this particular persona that has these does these particular things actually has a hyper yeah. propensity to buy and has nothing to do with how you thought they might have gone through a yeah. buyer journey. So it's um, yeah. so yeah. So those are uh, again you know understanding the the difference where you know what and you know how those are going to be game changers for you and how they're not actually changing uh you know your your personnel yeah. um as much as yeah. amplifying what so, they can do yeah so it's the it's the usual um warning that we have about any marketing automation isn't it i mean we've we've there's long i mean i i had a fascinating conversation with a lecturer at a, a, a uk listen uh, university the other day we were talking about um marketing education and he wants to bring more industry the reason why we're having the conversation is because he wants to bring industry people in to talk to his students because the dry kind of um you know way that formulaic way of going about marketing which we've now kind of automated marketing automation and we're all doing the same kind of thing so it's it's applying ai in a way that supports your marketing rather than the other way around right it's Correct. about being driving the machine rather than the machine driving you right Yes, and I, I think when you like uh, again, kind of keying off that his Tim statement about you know dispensing with the fundamentals um, is that mm-hmm. when you think back to the fundamentals that we've articulated on on this show, brand, market research, telling stories mm-hmm. uh, in your communications, understanding the customer journey, operations, those are all things yeah. that 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 people have got to manage yeah and but they're all things that can be informed with uh greater insights that come from uh machine learning and ai and they don't you know it's they don't really replace the the individuals that are doing that work you know unless you've hired you know 50 people to do your data analysis and it's like oh now i can have a smaller team (laughs) and better tools to do that so yeah yeah, yeah. No, I like that. And the other thing when you were saying, we, when we were talking about the, sort of the, um, the metadata thing is about the fact that with this technology, you can actually do the fundamentals better. So if we're yeah. talking about customer journey and understanding the customer journey, I think a lot of our marketing, whether we like to admit it or not, even however data focused we are, there's always the lens of the human on top of that, which is I know how my buyer buys. I know how I know what content they need. I know how they interact with our website. But often these insights come out, don't they? And they really change your perception of who your audience is, what their journey was, and, and where they did. And you can only really do that at at any kind of scale using machine learning and, and AI, right? And and that's how you can get these patterns. Absolutely, and you know, in a different um, blog I read from. Uh, my, my former boss at uh, at Forrester, Christine DiMartini, she said, you know, the volume of data available to marketers now is beyond human capacity and scale to manage, analyze, and act upon. So therefore, you know, the tedious, repetitive tasks to do to, to do that, uh, we mm-hmm. just can't do it at scale and speed. So therefore, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to help us be more valuable, more creative, more innovative in how we do our current jobs. And we need to understand the fundamentals. We need to go back. You know, you need to go back and listen to yeah. the other episodes of this where we go through the marketing <laughs> fundamentals, uh, yeah. So that uh, so that you can leverage these technologies in better ways. And, yeah, I, and I think, the, the I other. Think oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say. I think I think AI is a, AI and machine learning is a fascinating topic, and maybe we should look at. I mean, not only go back to those five marketing fundamentals and make sure that whatever technology, whether it's AI or not, that you're implementing keeps you on track with those five right but also that how maybe you and i need to have a go through those five and just have a look at how technology helps with that, each of them maybe that, and that would be a and let a good follow-up yep yeah let tech back in i mean tech gets a bit of a bashing on this um on this podcast quite a lot quite a lot of quite a lot of people want to chuck it in the swimming pool that's for sure even the the marketers that that i talk to that work for tech organizations a lot of them want to chuck marketing automation into the into the swimming pool so maybe we need to start resuscitating that and and thinking about how each of these things can place it but to tim's earlier point right ai and algorithms are going to save you i don't think so i don't replace marketing fundamentals 
Yeah. So it stays in the pool, right? Stays in the pool. And, and he has another quote that I like, which he says, marketing will always be about people. And it's, you know, yes. so it's about people understanding other people and communicating to those people and helping the other people in your organization do that as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's not replacing us, at least not in the early part of the 21st century. <laughs> Splendid. So I'll um, I'll include a link to the the couple of Forrester blog posts that you refer to there, Jeff, plus a link to episode 117 where you can listen to the whole ep- whole interview with Tim Parkin. It's quite a really fun interview. Yeah. And the final uh, part of uh, the agenda item that we have in the studio is is you need to come up with a song, Jeff. What am I going to play out with this week? We're going to play out with Machine by Imagine Dragons uh, from 2018, so not not too long Good ago. Lord. And uh, yes. and they say, you know, when when you're when you're going to see, I'm not part of your machine, not part of your machine. So I'm not part of your machine. I'm going it. to control the machine. I love it. All right, thank you very much, Jeff. And will I see you in the marketing studio next week? Yes. Excellent. I will see you next week. Have a good one. Cheers, mate. Take care. Thank you, Jeff. That was Imagine Dragons with Machine from 2018. And thanks to Tim Parkin for the excellent suggestion for the swimming pool from episode 117. And I'll include links to that episode and the articles we discussed in the show notes. We've also started posting the article links that inspire this part of the show on Twitter. If you'd like to follow us, we are Rockstar CMO. Right. Time to go to backstage with my guest, Layla Madaris. She is the CMO at Apexon, a digital-first technology services company. As we'll discuss, Layla has pioneered a marketing-as-a-service approach, more on that in a moment, and created the award-winning YouTube channel DTV, where she interviews customers, partners, and other luminaries to profile their thought leadership and digital expertise. Prior to Apexon, Layla has had a splendid career. She helped launch Cumulus Networks, leading their marketing, was the VP of Marketing at Device Anywhere, establishing their category leadership and subsequent acquisition by Keynote Systems. And she's held key roles at emerging technology companies Virtual Iron, which was acquired by Oracle, and Pango Networks, which was acquired by Inner Wireless. Layla regularly speaks at events and has received industry recognition for leadership, marketing best practices and mentoring of female leaders. She was recognised as a woman of influence by Silicon Valley Business Journal in 2020. And now she's on Rockstar CMO. So much to dive into there. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Layla. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Great to be here. Uh, Splendid to have you. Thank you very much. And actually, I should have mentioned this while we were prepping. I believe you're our 100th unique guest on the show, so uh, you're quite a landmark for me, so welcome. Do I get a prize? or is? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need to figure that out, aren't I? Some kind of disco- discount coupon or a, yeah. or a trophy or something like that, yes. I should have thought that through. I just realised as, as I hit record the that you're probably the... A t-shirt and I can go advertise your, your uh, show. <laughs> I, love <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I to think about that when we do the promo. But anyway, Layla, thank you very much for coming on the show and being our 100th guest. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what Apexon do. I've pronounced that correctly, right? Yes, Apexon. Um, and uh, so just on the Apexon, um, we just actually rebranded and renamed the organization. Uh, so um, it's uh, what, I, what I see is it's a newer generation of um, a very tried and true industry, which is technology services and professional services and um, support uh, from a tech perspective for organizations that want to um, evolve their digital strategies um, from all aspects of digital, right? So um, why I say new generation is uh, because there's a there's a number of organizations out there that do this. And uh, we are we're a size and, and the way that we work is um, what we call we're big enough to matter, like the big organizations, but at the same time, we're small enough to care. So what we're finding with, um, 
you know, Fortune 500 type companies that typically have gone, um, you know, to these big organizations, they need a lot more hands on. They need a lot more um, direct attention and support. So um, they've turned to us. So, you know, long story short, um, technology services and strategy, but for a newer generation of digital demand. Um, I am I am their CMO. Uh, the company was formerly uh, named InfoStretch, and I've been with them uh, for the longest stint in my career, seven years. And that is, you know, but it's 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 for a reason, and um, and we'll get into this later. It's really uh, the culture of the organization, the people I work with, and that's what's kept me there. Um, the team that I've been able to build, and the camaraderie that we have amongst each other and the trust that we've established and built. So that's, that's been, yeah, I love that. Uh, with seven years, you're beating the industry average, aren't you? There's so much talked about, about the, well, yeah. uh, the churn of CMOs. I mean, that's just a fabulous run that you've had there and you've had a fabulous career. I mean, in the research and in the discussion beforehand um, that, that I've learned. So um, what inspired you to choose your career in marketing in the first place? Uh, it's a good question. I, um, I was originally attracted to sales. Uh, to be honest, I I get excited and at a win, um, mm-hmm. um, but the creative side of me wasn't attracted to sales, right? Because um, there's so much that, for, in my opinion, marketing um, comprises of the smartest and most creative people in the industry, regardless of generation. So, um, and, and, uh, so what attracted me was that I can use my creativity, my background, my background in, in, for example, in high school, I was very active in theater. So my performance background was, was part of it. And just my, my, uh, writing, uh, that's where I really started is just with writing strong content and convincing content, right? Not just write to write, but write to convince and attract, and those are some things that really um, were most appropriate for marketing. So uh, that's that's the direct. Yeah. Did you, so you, did you start as a writer then, and as a content marketer? It probably might not have been called content marketing then, but is that yeah. was that your your in? Yeah, I started as an editorial assistant at the Harvard Business Review. So um, you know, and that was that was a very exciting time because that was when, um, and I'm, I don't want to date myself here, but. That, <laughs> But you do the math. Um, but that was when, you know, the Internet was just starting and it was booming and publications like Fast Company and Upside and Inc. And all of those came out that were attracting a, a, a lot of the entrepreneurs that were out there, um, you know, and the dot uh, and the, well, what eventually became dot bomb. But at the onset of mm. it was a very exciting <laughs> to write about this industry. So, yeah, so I was at HBR and then after that I went into PR, which I would recommend for those who are in marketing to do it at an earlier stage in their career <clears throat> because you really get thrown into the deep end and you have to balance. You have you learn management, you learn multitasking. I mean, there were points where I had five different clients at the same time. And, you know, I had to not only manage up to my managers, but I also had to um, work with those clients. And the, and the part that I, I, as I said before, was the sales piece that attracted me the most was we had to come up with, with pitches that would sell to a very shrewd group of media, right. From, you know, publications like wall street journal and, um, business week and, uh, and, you know, even fast company. And, and it was, I, and you learn early, you know, you learn rejection because sometimes you get hung up on yeah. it. And you also learn how to make it relevant to what those targets are interested in. And that goes back and that helps with marketing because you have to create stories and pitches that are relevant to the current cast of characters that you're, you're going out. Yeah, so true. I mean, t- a couple of points there. I mean, I've, cu- I've chatted to a couple of people who are in marketing that have had that sales background, and it really helps, particularly as we're always talking about the relationship between sales and marketing, right? And the mm-hmm. fact that we as marketers, when we come up with our mealy words and our taglines and our elevator pitches and all that kind of stuff, the person that's going to have to stand up and say those words in front of a customer is the salesperson. So we really need to listen to, you know, what those guys, what the feedback that they have. And if you've done it yourself, you're, you're really aware of that, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I can appreciate what they're going through. And at the same time, yeah. some of the, what we produce is more about influencing the customer journey. So it's not about pitch. If the, if the prospect has come in and said, hey, I'm interested, let me size them up. They're going to go talk to their resources. They're going to go look, you know, at your company's website. They're going to see, you know, what third parties that they trust have have published about you. So yeah. it's part of the customer journey. We're part of the pitch. We're also part of the you know, influencing that customer journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if I fast forward a little bit in your career, well, quite a lot in your career to, 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 to now, um, when, you know, we were researching and discussing having you on the show, the, your company website, and I love this bit, describes you as having pioneered a marketing as a service approach where you harness the expertise of your expertly curated team to deliver value to customers. Now, I love that. Tell us about that idea as marketing as a service. I mean, you are in quite a large organization, right, at Pexon. So I, yeah. I imagine, you know, there's a big team. There's probably a lot of different moving parts, different audiences, different industries. Tell us about that marketing as a service thing. So it all started before Apexon. I had um, my own uh, marketing as a service organization, which mm -hmm. um, primarily helped a lot of early stage incubator seed level organizations um, you know, uh, talk about what they do in, in a way that, that, you know, will help them get funding or will help them get their first batch of customers and define who they are in the market. And that I, I started to call marketing as a surface because it wasn't PR, it was marketing. So, you know, yep. you can, companies like of that size can have, they don't need to have an in-house, you know, huge cast of characters doing their marketing. They can't, externalize that to some extent. So I, I, that's what attracted me to call that firm L Marketing Group, a marketing as a service firm. And so when I came into a company, because my background was in product prior to joining InfoStretch and what's now at Pexon, um, I started becoming more familiar with the world of services for technology services, like, you know, um, technology, like cloud management, migration technology, like data analytics technology, like, you know, enabling organizations to create better customer experiences and so on and so forth. Um, and that logic also applies to marketing. And when we came across a few scenarios, when our customer asked us to, to capture some of what we did with them so they can circulate it across the organization and show the value of what they did, we started doing more and more of that. And I said, hey, why don't we just package this up as a service because they value this and more and more of them are asking for this. And we use, you know, one company's video to attract another company to do the same thing because ultimately, you know, a lot of things are about ego. And if you have a, a person that's working that wants to be seen and heard inside their organization and recognized yeah. for what they do, then the best way to do it is equip them with that. And that's mm -hmm. what um, evolved into us doing a lot more of the marketing as a service as, you know, um, an added uh, value to the, the tech mm. services. Yeah, no, I love that idea. And I love the idea that um, you're almost an in-house agency, almost you're bringing your external experience that you had and thinking in that same way when you join the organization, the way you've been working with your organization. I think that's fascinating. Um, and then in, when we were talking about um, having you on the show, one of the challenges we discussed was hiring and retaining good marketers. It's something that we've talked about actually on this podcast quite a few things and quite a few times rather, and it's a big focus of yours. Um, how do you see this? How is the employee market changing for marketing professionals? And especially right now, right, given the market uncertainty, I mean, we're hearing about we're hearing about layoffs, but I'm also mostly hearing about how hard it is to hire right now. What's your view? Um, I would agree. It's very hard to hire right now, but you're also, um, you know, sometimes organizations look at uh, employees or prospects as filling, you know, a need that they have, um, which is, you know, quantitative or, or you know, uh, checking a box type of thing. Uh, I think organizations of all sizes um, have to, you know, uh, uh, evolve and look at it as, you know, a, a more human centric approach to to right. thing and to attracting um, prospects. Um, because after all, it's not it's not an operations thing, right? It's about recruiting human beings, not workers. 
And, um, you know, so, you know, uh, I see employees and I see these prospects um, as customers and you have to treat them in the exact same way. You have to customize what you're offering them and you can't apply the same, you know, uh, you know, pitch to those employees that you would, you know, to other employees, one size fits one. It's no longer about one size fits all. And, um, you know, right now it's, I actually lost somebody not too long ago on my team. And, and I learned that the reason why I I couldn't bring them back wasn't about the money. It, and and it's not about the money anymore. Like in Gen X world, maybe that was a big uh, part of it, but it was about, um, their autonomy, the autonomy that the other organization would give them um, and the opportunity when it comes to not within that organization, but their career. And if you map that back to, um, you know, trying to attract new new prospects, you're much better off and, and retain. I mean, I've managed to retain people by virtue of just talking more about their career path as opposed to have you check the five boxes of the things that we need you to do to help them go into the next level. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So many good points there. I mean, one of those, one of those points there is the role marketing plays in hiring, right? So it doesn't really, it's not just about hiring other marketers, but hiring across the piece and how, you know, that's now, and I mean, it's often an overlooked part of marketing, is it? Because we're fo- so focused yeah. on demand gen and revenue, but actually you're not going to make any of that revenue unless you've got great people. So yeah. it should be a good proportion of what we're thinking of as CMOs, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's become a big part of our focus, which I... Yeah, especially as you're a people business, right? Yeah, and it wasn't like that um, a couple of years ago, but now we're, you know, one of the top priorities is that is mm-hmm. lawyer marketing and you know selling them on a a career opportunity it's not just a job and that's a big part of marketing's role um you know especially in marketing at least in my field you're talking to creative thinkers so these guys need constant inspiration um and you know and they want attention too they want the recognition um for what they have achieved uh, so if you're not in a position where you can give them a bonus or a raise, that's not what's what's the big deal. The big deal is for them to be feel like they've accomplished something. Um, and we're, all, you know, we're, I talked about egos earlier. We all have the egos, too. So um, <laughs> rewarding to, to feel like, you know, you've been um, recognized for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we, we had a discussion about it actually last week on the podcast was about that, you know, we, we'd seen an article that, that it was being described as a crisis, you know, that, that actually um, retaining marketers right now is, is, is difficult because of some of those things you talk about. And, and what we were discussing was this idea that marketers need a career path and a structure, don't they? And you need to define those things you were just 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 mentioning and give people a place in the business, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so then, and, and, and looking at that, right. So we're not just hiring um, ourselves, other experienced seasoned marketers, whatever we want to call ourselves, but also we've got this next generation of rock stars coming through. Right. So, and I know this is something you've been looking at is this, this new crop of Gen Z marketers. What do you think these guys bring? To, I mean, I'm not sure about demographic labels. Cause sometimes I think it's, you know, we, we act, you know, even, you know, people of my generation act a bit Gen Z sometimes. But um, what do you think that these Gen Z marketers are bringing to our marketing teams? And what do they need from us as employers right now? Yeah. And Gen Z, Zoomers or um, Millennials, it, yeah. I, I feel like there's like an us and them um, mm-hmm. sense that some organizations have. But it's really about, you know, they're, they're bringing to the table something that we didn't have, Right. As a Gen Xer, I, I feel like most of what we we focused on was being able to, um, you know, bring a lot of tried and true practices, and and also bring stories and content and substantiate that content with data and references. Mm. Um, and 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 that's the creative side, and that, that content can tend to be a little wordy sometimes for the attention <laughs> now out there. Yeah. Um, so the new generations, both Xers and, um, and Zoomers ha- have, have evolved uh, that, but they've also 
uh, brought a lot of technology efficiencies into the, in play. So um, that has helped, uh, you know, um, spread that valuable content, but in bite-sized chunks to a much mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, widespread community. Uh, and they've also brought and evolved things like social media, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, what we consider, like back in the PR days, or well, back in the old days of PR, we, <laughs> we we considered what is valuable is like a cover story on a Fortune or Forbes or, you know, um, mm. or um, Business Week. But it what's valuable is now different. Um, so, you know, they've redefined that in a way that you're looking at um, – you know, uh, influencer marketing, for example, and you're looking at, uh, you know, followers and number of subscriptions as being what defines value. So am I better off um, putting an ad on the social media of an entity or a person who has, you know, millions of followers and that Mm. entity represents the type of clientele I'm going after, the prospects or my target audience, or am I better off, you know, applying a tried and true um, methodology and going after a publication that's been around for eons? And that's, that's something that, you know, is also uh, what they've evolved. Now, I will say, um, influencer marketing has been um, great for um, visibility and awareness, both primarily mm-hmm. on the consumer side. But it, I personally have not seen it pan out in terms of driving revenue or driving business to the bottom line. But then again, you never yeah. know. This could be, a, um, a, as I said, a customer journey influencer in some way. So it remains to be seen. But that's the direction that um, they've brought forth and, 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 and how the market is. Yeah. So I see the two generations as complementary. And I think organizations should invest heavily in um, the Zoomers in particular who are, who are bringing types of efficiencies forth. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were talking, I was thinking there about the blend of the two, right, is that you, you, don't, you don't want to do social media for social media's sake. It's right. still going to be within the engagement kind of um, goals that we've always had. It's just the channels kind of changed, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, gosh, I've just seen the time. Um, I'm going to zoom on to our, our final. Th- this was excellent. Thank you very much, Leila. Um, and I could talk to you about this. Uh, this the, the challenge of hiring and retaining staff, I think, is it, an excellent topic. Um, but I'm going to zoom to our final question. We have a regular feature on the Rockstar, the Rockstar CMO Zoom pool where we throw all the bullshit snake oil and overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck in there? I think um, and about I, I would say about 10 years ago, um, organizations started uh, seeing some value, particularly B2B SaaS organizations in um, lead generation, which was great because it allowed... Um, marketing to, you know, have a more direct influence on revenue. And I've been a part of that whole game. And, you know, I've been, (laughs) I, I led marketing and, um, it was a B2B SaaS format, a subscription based format and, and a big revenue came out of that. But now organizations with, of, of all shapes and sizes think that's like the, you know, one trick pony to, um, get the, um, get the revenue that, Mm-hmm. They want from marketing. And the problem now is, and especially now, is everyone has screen fatigue. And no one is going to, not not as many people, not no one, but not as many people are really going to be, have an appetite to open an email from somebody they don't know, <laughs> make a multi-million True. decision. So uh, I think, you know, the, the misconception um, is that this kind of coin-operated machine lead generation approach is 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 going to be, um, you know, the magic that that comes out of the marketing organization. And I would say that that's that's hyped. That's not the case. I love it. And even if you're B two B SaaS, I'm sure you will say that what you're getting out of it now is less than what you were getting out of it ten years ago when it was, you know, just a novel concept. Yeah, I love I love that coin operated expression there. The coin operated marketing automation that's that's definitely got to go. I think that you won't find many arguments against that one, Layla. So that's an excellent suggestion. Thank you very much. 
And uh, when the listeners uh, spin the dial on the interwebs, where, where, where might they find you? When they do what? Sorry. When they sp- spin the dial on the interwebs, when they basically go and search for you, where are you? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter, oh, all those things? Uh, I'm mostly on LinkedIn. Um, I, mm-hmm. I took a break from the, the Facebooks and the Instagrams because it was just... <laughs> It was just people doing things that annoyed me. So I just, <laughs> but I do like, uh, I use LinkedIn more to see, you know, what, what my compadres and, and, and people that I know and my network are doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I like Twitter a lot because it's a great place to see what the opinions are of people that you uh, admire and that you respect. And I also use it as a news source. Um, so I don't yes. do like CNN as as much as I used to, and I and I prefer the little bite sized chunks that are coming out of Twitter. And I will say that I've started to gravitate towards TikTok. So, <laughs> it's wow! Quite- I think we've all been down that yeah. rabbit hole. <laughs> Suddenly, you don't. And, and- time passes. You've been looking at it for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Any plans to be on it and and to and actually create the videos, or are you just a, a watcher? Well, no, I'm a watcher, but what <laughs> we're doing in my company is we do create a lot of videos, but um, yes. we have been influenced by these uh, social media sites to shorten the videos and make them, you know, more pithy. Well, I love it. Thank you very much for your time, Layla. And um, I'll include links to Apexon. I'll include your, your links to your LinkedIn. And also something we didn't get a chance to really chat about, the YouTube channel that I think you just inferred, uh, DTV, I believe it's called. Yeah. Uh, I'll include all those links in the show notes. I hope to speak to you again, Layla. That's been an excellent conversation. And we just touched on some really good topics there. Thank you very yep. much. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, Layla. The hundredth person to appear on the show, if you include my regulars, quite a milestone there. And it was a splendid conversation, something to learn there about hiring and retaining good people. I will, of course, include all of Layla's links in the show notes. If you like the discussion, please reach out to her and say hello. Right. Where better to wind down the week than the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar, where I'll find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Uh, it is the end of the week, and it boy, it's been mm-hmm. a long week. It has been a long <laughs> week. Have you seen? Uh, have you seen Top Gun yet? The the new Top I Gun. I haven't. I haven't, but I I so want to. What I want to do is try and get. Uh, we're trying to get. It's one of those films you can't just watch just with. You get a few people together, so we're trying to get the family together to watch it. But we've we've been we've been all over the place. But yeah, it's. Um, I'm looking forward. to It's it. delightful. It's really really yeah. wonderful. Um, and uh, was the reason I ask is because. So we just saw it, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I thought this week, uh, given the need for speed, as it were, um, <laughs> in where we are with work, I, I would make a special cocktail uh, mm-hmm. for us. Um, and this one, you know, so you know what a Tom Collins is, yes? You know what a yes, you know, I so, do. Yeah, but, but you would, I mean, of all the cocktails, <laughs> Tom Collins is probably. <laughs> The one that you know the best um, for your audience, of course, a Tom Collins is just a simple gin, lemon, sometimes a simple syrup, uh, and club soda, uh, and, and so uh, that is a Tom Collins. This week, we're going to be making what I'm calling a Tom Cruise. Uh, yes, so this is also a classic, easy to make cocktail, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it features tequila. Uh, your favorite Blanco tequila, by the way, something mm-hmm. light and easy and built for speed. Uh, and then uh, also because Tom Cruise is the whitest guy around. Um, and <laughs> then you add into that a little bit of lemon juice um, and a little bit of, I like sparkling water more than club soda mm-hmm. here, but uh, club soda will do if you can't get sparkling water. Uh, and no simple syrup, of course, as as yeah. uh, as, as we often do on in this bar. And yeah. it's just absolutely wonderful. It is basically a spiked sparkling lemonade, and it has got the, 
you know, the ice in it of ice blue Tom Cruise eyes, and it builds you for speed in a hot summertime day. I love it. Well, I'll attempt to make that drink using yeah. only the ingredients of my desktop bar. That's right. Um, I've got to, and also, I mean, if Tom Cruise drinks those, right, it's the elixir of youth, isn't it? I mean, good grief, that man. I mean, he, he's so young in that film. It's amazing. It's a, it, it he, is The amazing. guy never aged. He's made some never. deal with the devil somewhere. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel sorry for the devil. No, here we go. So I've, I'm, um, I'm going to use the most English of, of Blanco tequilas. Uh, Hendrix Gin. Oh, by the way, I have to correct just about 75 of the episodes where I've said that because I've just realised that Hendrix Gin is actually made in Scotland. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. That... Let me just check. Let me check. Yep, yep, made in Scotland. There it is. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs> the, most, the most Scottish of uh, Blanco tequilas. Yes. Uh, Scottish, Scottish gin. <laughs> Who knew? I know. That... I'm going to have to... And swapping that out for a start, just so that joke works better. Yeah, <laughs> Scottish gin. It yells at you. Basically, it just yells at you unintelligibly. <laughs> it, it certainly would if it knew I called it English. Yeah. <laughs> so a bit of that, and then can um, the Scottish you... even pronounce Hendrix? Though I mean, it's 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 a it's got the R in it. I'm not. Uh... Honestly, I, I I can't be dealing with the death. Have you seen right the now. um? Have you seen the uh, the TikTok videos of the uh? the very Scottish young woman trying to pronounce, you know, words like burglar. <laughs> no. It's, it's classic <laughs> having now I, I can do this because my grandfather, yes. my mother, that whole side of my family is Scottish. And of course yes. spoke with a very thick Glaswegian, mm -hmm. uh, brogue. Um, and, uh, and my friends would not be able to understand them. They, they would, they, no. they couldn't understand them at all, but yeah. <laughs> well, while you were chatting now, I uh, I used some of the most uh, English of sparkling water and lemon. Yes, quite. Uh, no. <laughs> you, so English you made a Tom no. Collins, basically, not a Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I actually put in was some tonic from ah. the lovely people at Fever Tree, who are actually English. I see. Uh, and 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 they've actually uh, they, they they've used the most English of lemons, cucumber in there. Oh, uh, well, there you go. There libation. you go. I'm gonna give this a try. Yeah. Mmm. That's definitely very refreshing. Yes. And probably a bit closer to the drink that you were thinking than we normally do in this bar every week. Yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. that's absolutely delicious. And what are we calling that? Uh, we're calling, well, I I'm calling it a Tom Cruise. Um, mm. yeah. I love it. And if it can um, give me some more hair and maybe a little less grey hair, then I'm in. There you go. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's, it's built for speed and playing volleyball shirtless is what it's built for. <laughs> Oh my god! Nobody wants to see that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'll um, I'll continue <laughs> to drink this. What is uh, and where would we go to drink these fine? Drinks? You know, I think we have to go out into the desert um, because that's, of course, where the new Top Gun school is. A lot of people don't know this that that when the first Top Gun was filmed, uh, it was in San Diego, uh, the Top uh -huh. Gun school, and and they still portray it there in the second movie and that's no spoiler alert that's you know it's just basically considered um part of uh uh the the uh the navy base there um mm -hmm. but it is now actually that the actual top gun school is uh, outside of las vegas um and ah. it's in the nevada desert and so uh, i think we have to get out to the desert for these cool drinks and just sort of lean into the heat you know lean into the 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 hot desert and um and maybe you know, maybe maybe do a little gambling while we're out there. Get into Vegas and 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 do a you know, sit in a bar somewhere and play some slots. Talk a little bit about marketing. Sounds good. Yeah. So when we um, when when uh, we was well, presumably we haven't struck it rich yet because we're still talking about marketing. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yes, that's very true. Uh, so uh, yeah, so it, it's probably about nine o'clock in the morning, but we still think it's nine at night. Now in Vegas, whenever I go there, <laughs> it's uh, it, um, what what are we going to be talking about this week? Well, you know, this week, I, what I want to talk a little bit about is uh, you know, so something has been on my mind lately. Uh, it's around content strategy more than anything else, mm -hmm. and when we think about you know really why no one so in sales this is especially true in b2b sales and marketing alignment and especially as it it gets around content and the content we're creating as marketers for salespeople. 
And it's interesting because I was having this conversation with a client and the the project was really how do we align better uh, you know, our sales and marketing process, not necessarily on anything else other than making sure that they are using the right content. Because honestly, what happened was they, they simply asked both teams, they said, what's the biggest challenge that you have? Uh, and the marketing team said, oh, well, we need sales to use the right content, you know, for, for the customer's journey. Right. And then they asked the salespeople, what's your biggest challenge? And they said, oh, we need the right content to use Mm -hmm. in context with where the customer is. And so immediately the knee jerk reaction was, oh, well, let's just, you know, why don't you, it's like Kramer with Seinfeld. It's like, why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you'd like to see? <laughs> you know, it's like, they just basically said, well, why don't you just tell each other to use the right content and it'd be solved? And of course, that's not the easy answer, right? There, There is not an easy answer to this because the problem isn't the content. The problem is the communication between the two of them. Because if you, mm-hmm. if you look at from the sales team's perspective, they have not the right, they don't know how to use, they don't know what is the right content, and they don't know how to find it even if they did know what the right content was. So what happens is, is that they end up hanging their hooks into something that works and, you know, and, and they will not release their hooks from something that works until, mm-hmm. you know, until it doesn't anymore. And from the marketing perspective, they're creating all this new content, usually on demand from requests from other parts of the organization. And so they're so busy trying to meet the demands of the other parts of the organization, they don't know what content would actually work in that context. And so they just haven't talked. They haven't communicated. You know, I mean, I've, I've said many times that, you know, the 90% of content strategy has nothing to do with the content itself. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's worse than that because it's about how do we communicate with one another. And the, it turns out, as I looked a little deeper into this, there's actually, you know, it's what ends up happening is, is that we go, isn't it obvious, right? You know, I mean, you know, when we, you know, when we say, you know, why don't you just tell me that to do the, you know, isn't it obvious? And there's actually a, 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 a psychological term for this. They call it signal amplification bias. And it's basically when you, uh, you end up thinking you said something, but you didn't really say anything. And, you know, oh, wow. this is the part of the conversation where my wife raises her hand and goes, um, I can vouch for this. Um, <laughs> because basically what they found is, is that the closer you are to your, you know, the person you were talking with, you tend mm-hmm. to shorthand things until the point where you think you've communicated something, but you really haven't. So it actually happens more frequently the closer you are. So the fact that the teams are sitting close to each other or the teams are know each other well, et cetera, et cetera, can almost exacerbate the problem. Wow. Um, and I think that's a really interesting challenge. And what it leads to is sort of trying to figure out how to solve it. And the way that we've started to see how to solve it is to involve sales in not just the content distribution process, but the content creation process. In other words, you not only involve them in the telling of the story, but you also help them understand how to be the storyteller. So you start developing content about the content. So you develop a white paper and you work with the sales team to not only understand, here's a great white paper, but also Mm -hmm. here's the book report on how to deliver this white paper or how to explain it to somebody or how to send it to somebody with a cover note. And it's giving them content about the content and the training and the knowledge of it, not just looking at sales as a distribution channel. So it's, and yeah. that seemed to work. And so it's really getting them much closer together in communicating the origin of the content you're trying to create rather than just looking at sales as a distribution channel. Right, right. So there's two stages to that then. So there was when the content's being created, you co-create with sales. And then once it's created, you then provide them with the book notes or whatever, however you described it, of, look, this is what this is really about, and this is how you present it to the, the client, right? Yeah, that's, the yeah that's exactly it. You know, I mean, wow. as, as another, this is a different client, um, but he was mm-hmm. a VP of sales and had similar problems, which was sales wasn't mm-hmm. using any of the content that marketing was creating for them. Right. And I asked the VP of sales, I said, why? And he said, well, why or how should we be expected to use this content that a we had no business in creating and b mm-hmm. don't have any clue on how to use yeah yeah and so you know it, it is the sales looks at it rightly or wrongly 
The sales team yeah. does not look at their job as being the A-B test of whether your content's going to resonate or not, right? They don't have time for that. They have to yeah. understand which content's going to work immediately. Exactly. And so yeah. where you can introduce new ideas, new thought leadership, new stories, new content through mm-hmm. sales is if they have an invested interest in the creation of it. Because then they can understand much better how does it resonate with a customer when I'm trying to talk with them. If you just like throw it over the wall and go, tell me how it goes, turns out they're like, no, 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 that's not my job. My job is not to do that. My job is to actually use the best content I can in the customer. And I've got this thing you created six months ago and it's still working. So I'm not going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's so interesting. And I, I actually had a very similar conversation just the other day. And, um, what I, what I was saying about getting sales involved early on and getting their feedback on the messaging is because it's really easy when a bunch of marketers are in like a, a you know, hotel conference room defining the personas and what they need and all the messaging to them. It's actually some bloke or gal needs to stand up in front of another human being and say those mealy words that we've just come out with, right, without looking like a cock. So it's like... You know, you can get that sense of perspective of I'm going to have to say these words right in front of another human being, so they better make sense. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly yeah. it. You know, it's, those... and it's and it and it really just does come down to better communication. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know we get so you know this is where we you know both teams go heads down trying to yeah. get everything they need to get done done, and it's it, it is so much better in some cases to just put your heads up take a step back, get together and stop creating content for a minute and start talking about what we should be saying. You know, what, what can we be saying and where do we have gaps in the, in the customer, you know, in the customer communication? Because so often the customer calls with a particular question and, you know, the salespeople just don't have it. They don't have mm-hmm. the answer to that because yeah. it's just yeah. never been thought of, right? You know, cause yeah. marketing doesn't know to create it. And yep. sales doesn't know to how to create it. And so they just don't have an answer for it. And so they just default to, oh, by the way, can I send you a brochure? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that. That's about doing, I think, to, to probably the point you're making as well, this, that's about just doing good content strategy, isn't it? And doing your persona work that's meaningful and not just a bunch of um, fanciful, aspirational stuff in marketing. But actually, you're engaging with the sales team and maybe even the service teams of what are the needs of this persona at this point in the customer journey. And then you've got that roadmap, haven't you? And then you're then you're creating the content that the sales guy agrees. Yes, those are the needs. That's when it's needed. Go make that for me and I'll use it, right? That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. That's excellent. All right, mate. That's fantastic. So when um, when a sales guy... Uh, needs to uh, research all the wonderful things that you talk about, where are they going to go? Well, they can find us at our little cave here <laughs> on the Super Information <laughs> Highway, and it's called the contentadvisory.net. Contentadvisory.net. I shouldn't throw the the in front of it to but, confuse anybody, although it does resolve, but, you know, the con- contentadvisory.net is our website. Splendid. Have you still got tca.inc? I know you used to have You know, I don't any longer, uh, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Because uh, so I bought it when I bought it. Yep. It was from a new domain provider, yeah. Who uh, I guess was trying to get the .inc domain going, mm-hmm. and uh, th- did successfully with a number of companies. And I was using it for for a good uh, mm. for a good bit, and then they went out of business basically. And they got yeah. and all of their inventory of domains were purchased by GoDaddy. And uh-huh. GoDaddy asked me to then uh, basically, <laughs> you know, re-up after my, I think it was five years uh, yeah. you know, so, of, you know, of, and they wanted me to re-up for, I think it was like $4,000 for for, <laughs> for, for the domain TCA.inc. And I went, yeah, no, I'm not no. going to do that. I don't, <laughs> I don't care about the domain that much. Good. So it's contentadvisory.net. And I think as you've described, you stuck with the blue genes of domain names, which nice and reliable, right? That's blue right. Genes. The dad genes. The dad genes. The dad genes. That's it. Sorry. The, the, dad right, genes, the high-waisted dad genes of domains. <laughs> and then when people spin the dial on the internet, where are they going to find you? Uh, LinkedIn is mostly my social network mm-hmm. of choice these days, although I'm still on Twitter um, as well and, and hanging out there and uh, would love to meet and connect with everybody there. Splendid. And I will include all your links in the show notes, of course. And most importantly to me, are you going to be in the bar next week? Uh, Indeed. Indeed, I will. 
I look forward to it. Mate. I'll see you then. Cheers. Thank you, Robert. We're feeling the need to communicate there. So that's a wrap on episode 128 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Layla and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them and I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com where you can also find all our previous episodes. And most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. So... Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the marketing studio. I go backstage with fellow podcaster and startup marketing specialist, Seth Goldstein. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll join us again here next week on Rockstar CMO F. And this podcast is heard along the marketing podcast network for more great marketing podcasts visit marketingpodcasts.net